Hello, and welcome to Wedge Issues, a politics podcast from the Cap Times. I'm Jack Kelly, a politics reporter with the paper. The Republican Party of Wisconsin is undergoing a transformation. In December, it hired Brian Schimming to be its first paid chairman in years. Schimming is a longtime player in Republican politics here in Wisconsin and was tapped to help bolster a state party that has long relied upon the work of volunteers. Schimming joined me this week to discuss how the Republican Party of Wisconsin can compete with its Democratic counterpart, what the RNC coming to Milwaukee in 2024 means for the state, and more. Here's my conversation with Brian Schimming. Brian Schimming, chair of the Republican Party of Wisconsin, thank you so much for joining Wedge Issues. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. You know, let's start. You're still relatively new to the job. Let's start with the, you telling me a little bit about your experience in politics and how you ended up as state party chairman. Yeah. So I actually was on staff of the state party one time. I was political director several million years ago. And and uh, so I, you know, I had, ex, you know, I was involved in that respect. But I grew up right next to the UW campus. My parents both worked on campus. My dad was at the chemistry department. My mom was at Extension. And I grew up on Lathrop Street, right, literally right next to the stadium. Right there. Right there. And uh, in fact, I just drove through the old neighborhood yesterday. And I grew up, I was the youngest of four on the tail end of the anti-war movement. So I smelled the tear gas coming up into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. When uh, Sterling Hall was bombed, it shook our whole house. You know, we were six, eight blocks off. And so I, I kind of came up right on the tail end of that. And so I had some kind of early exposure to, you know, some pretty dramatic things, right? And because uh, the campus was kind of our playground as kids a little bit. So that helped shape me a little bit. I went to Randall and, and Cherokee and then Madison West. And so I was very much in your west side in an old university neighborhood, University Heights, you know. So that kind of shaped me, I think, in fairness, a little bit. And then was student body president of Whitewater when I was there and was on city council for two years. I got elected to the city council when I was 19. And then came back, and I actually was the, uh, one of the jobs I had was I was Legislative Affairs Director at United Council. Mm. Uh, probably the only Republican on the staff, fair to say, and did that in two different stints, actually. And then uh, w- took a job in the state Senate for three years. While I was there, I ran John Gard's first race for the Assembly, a special election. And we won. I got the attraction of the state party. I went over there as political director, and then I went over to the Capitalist Caucus Director when Dave Proster was minority leader and then ended up chief of staff to the speaker when we took over the majority. And we had not been in the majority in 24 years. Mm -hmm. And so we had one member out of the 51 members in the caucus who'd ever been in the majority, ever. (laughs) So we were really kind of, right? I mean, you're kind of recreating the whole thing, or you think you are. And then uh, after that, I ran the Wisconsin Conservation Corps for Governor Thompson, which is modeled on the old Civilian Conservation Corps. I know I've traveled the state very, very extensively for well over 30 years. So I, I love... Wisconsin. I love fair with Wisconsin. And, but that helped me in those jobs because um, we had like 50 crews out around the state. Mm-hmm. So I had an appreciation of natural resources and, and what we could do around the state. So I did that. And then I was head of the state division of housing and their intergovernmental relations for four years under Governor Thompson and Governor McCallum. And that was uh, HUD affordable housing, you know, passed through HUD programs and then our own state programs. Then local and state and national government. I was in D.C. once or twice a month working, doing hell work or in the agencies, just going out and back. I ended up, what was most recently under Governor Walker, was Chief Operating Officer for WEED at the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority. Again, a lot of housing, a lot of business development, things of that nature. Yeah. I've been on some national housing boards. I'm on, I'm on, uh, I've been on the Salvation Army Board for over 15 years because I care about those issues. 
and on the Taliesin board. I try not to do a lot of board things just because you want to, and with the last several months last year or so, it's been a little bit tougher, so I want to pay attention, more attention to those things too. Yeah. So I really grew up in a political environment. I mean, whenever I go out state and talk, when I say, you know, I kind of do as it or whatever, but I say, you know, I'm a Republican from Madison, people are like, you know, oh, out state, they're like, oh, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, they're calling, they want me to come back, so there's two. But I'm proud of it, I love Madison, so. Yeah. Let me take us back a second. You know, obviously, a little bit more than a decade ago, Wisconsin Republicans had, you know, the cheesehead revolution era. Right, right. Paul Ryan ran for vice president. Right. He became Speaker of the House. Scott Walker and the Republican legislature passed Act 10 and a long list of other major conservative policies and right. wins. Reince Priebus was the leader. You know, he led the RNC. Ron Johnson came out of nowhere and, and scored a big win. Jumped to now. State Party has had some setbacks in the last five or six years in terms of, of races. What have you learned? Uh, you know, I'm looking at the governor's race. I'm looking at the attorney general race. Obviously, you know, Senator Baldwin was reelected last time she ran by a wide margin. And, you know, well, won the state treasurer's race. Senator Johnson was obviously reelected in right. 2022. Statewide elections have been going in favor of Democrats uh, over the last few years. What have you learned in the last few years? Well, even, for example, the Michaels race, even in that loss, which is about 90,000 or so, less than 100,000 votes, even in that loss and the loss in the AG's race, you had two incumbents there, mm -hmm. right? And it showed the power of the incumbency a little bit there, too. And those were two races where we were outspent as well. And uh, so I think what the Democrats have done more successfully is not convince people on the street that their ideas are any better, because we don't see that in the polling. Uh, you don't see it in the polling really at all. But what they have convinced themselves is that money is just wonderful. And out-of-state money is even more wonderful. And, and the truth of the matter is, you know, we've been outspent in some of those other races. And yet, in the kind of the polling and generally what people agree with us on, it's still, in my mind, a, a slightly center-right state. It's a purple state, no doubt about that. And I don't, I'm not into denial. I like dealing with things coldly because you have to make decisions that way, right? So we've had some disappointments. We've obviously, you know, we've had two races, the attorney general and the governor's race there, and I, I liked the different, but we had nasty primaries, and the Democrats didn't. Mm -hmm. We had very nasty primaries, and I think we have to be candid and say that had an effect on what happened there, because not only were they nasty kind of in their personal way, but in a outward advertising, you know, whatever way. Somebody was asking about this the other day with respect to the Supreme Court in the future. I've recruited dozens of candidates for offices over the years, particularly in the legislature, I should say. Dozens of them. And one with a lot of them. And when you have nasty, expensive primaries, and when you're in a situation where outside money comes in, which it, it clearly did, and, and I, I love Dan Kelly, but $2.5 million came in from liberal interests to fix that primary against Jennifer Doral, regardless of which candidates people supported. The fact of the matter is $2.5 million came in and that has been a habit of the left around the country is to try to go. I mean, it's really well established. That's not hyperbole. Everybody knows it. And so the Democrats love money and they really love outside money. And you look at their major actor. I mean, think about this. You look at their major actors in the last several years. And I'm not blaming it all on money, by the way, just to be clear. But you look at their major actors or their major campaigns, Tony Evers, um, Kerb Cole, who I knew, not well, but Herb Cole, Democrat establishment people helped drag Alex Lazary into the race because they saw him as the new Herb Cole and able to spend money. They, the big change for the Democrats in the last several years 
hasn't been the attractiveness of their candidate. It's been their attractiveness of outside left-wing countries. And that's, as I say, that's not hyperbole. The the campaign finance reports bear it out very, very, sure. very clearly. Republicans changed the law that sure. is in some sure. way really, really allowing Democrats to seize on this, right? The Democratic Party, the state party here has, has gone through a big rebuilding process and yep. has turned into this fundraising powerhouse. Right. I wonder, you know, knowing that, you know, how does the Republican state party, how do you compete with the state Democratic Party? Well, we had a very good, I mean, obviously, immediately, you know, we were at it at the start of the year. So we had a very good couple of months fundraising at the state party, not to the level that they have. And because I just don't have outside billionaires and millionaires writing, you know, six and seven zero <laughs> checks all the time. But we have certainly upgraded, you know, raised up our fundraising game quite a bit. And we're going to have to develop more in-state. And frankly, we're going to end up nationalizing here a little bit, too, because Wisconsin races have now been nationalized. You saw it in the Supreme Court race. You saw it in the U.S. Senate race. You saw it in the governor's race. There are multiple examples of, I mean, this is not, a lot of their success isn't some great, you know, sitting in a dark room with smoke and whatever. It's been them raising money. In, and I think that's a challenge to the process not only on the party side, but to friendly third-party groups on both sides. It's a challenge to the process. So all my old Democrat friends who used to go up on the Senate and Assembly floor, and I can get very specific on that matter, and wail away about campaign finance or perform or something else, and then they go to a fundraiser that night to raise $100,000. That I always knew it was bald, but now it's being proven. <laughs> We've talked about the past. Let's look ahead. What are the party's next kind of major targets and, and goals? I imagine that Senator Baldwin's seat would be one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I knew Tammy when she was in the Assembly. I always got along with her fine, but she has been to the left wing of the uh, of the Senate Democratic Caucus out there and to the party, which she always was. She was in the Assembly, too. Problem is their whole, their, their whole party has moved to the left wing, and so Tammy doesn't seem so much out of their mainstream anymore because they've moved to where she is. But the truth of the matter is, on, on Tammy, is that the last Marquette poll showed her at a 37% favorable, or mm -hmm. 38, whatever it was. She was one-to-one -one on her favorable, unfavorable. So that is not usually a sign. I mean, those, Ron Johnson had those kind of numbers, and everyone was writing his epitaph. So when people tell me a Democrat incumbent is safe in Wisconsin, I always say, when's the last time you heard from U.S. Senator Russ Weingold? <laughs> Russ was, and I knew Russ from the Senate. I was working in the Senate when Russ was there. Uh, Russ was the unbeatable guy. Oh, McCain, Feingold, you know, they're all talking about all this, whatever. And then Russ loses by 100,000 votes. Then he comes back six years later, is whatever it was, seven, eight, nine points, maybe 10 points ahead of Ron in 2016 and lost again by the same margin. So I, I never buy that there's any safe incumbent, frankly, on either side. Being honest about it, I mean, there's no uh, on either side. So I don't think, you know, we have potential candidates against Tammy. I think there will be more of those. I think you will see that play out in the next three, four months as we get close to our convention in La Crosse. You'll see more of that coming out. Yeah. But so, and I, I have respect for Tammy's, you know, she's an incumbent, a 12-year incumbent, has got a good fundraising network around the country. But I don't think anyone has any illusions that she's safe. And if they do, they, they may end up surprised. Let's talk about one thing that is a big factor in general elections. Or So it seems in the last kind of two statewide races that we fear, the state Supreme Court race and then races that we had in, in the fall, is abortion. And Republican candidates' stance on abortion policy, their opposition to abortion seems to have cost them uh, in the last 
two statewide elections. Where do we go from here? Is it time for Wisconsin Republicans to, to reconsider their stance on abortion? Is it time to rebrand? Well, I've said to folks, legislative folks that I've talked to generally, that I think it's in everybody's best interest that they get to a position that makes sense and that the voters understand. I don't always know that we've done so well last November in kind of explaining what that is, or maybe even in the Supreme Court race, there's no rule in marketing. A confused mind always says no. And and so I want to make sure the voters kind of understand where the party is at generally. Not that every legislator in the Senate or Assembly are absolutely in one place. So I think it's important on the legislative side, and we don't tell them what to do, but I'm happy to offer advice, and I'm asked to offer advice enough, and I see legislators a fair amount. And I think, too, what we saw in the Supreme Court race is there were, sure, of course, there were a number of folks who abortion was number one for them, but it generally, more generally, was a part of two or three top issues, mm-hmm. crime, particularly in Milwaukee and the suburbs. It's crime. It's a couple other things. There are folks who just vote on the abortion issue, right? They probably, for the most part, aren't generally going to be our voters anyway. If that's number one and they don't care about anything else, they might not be our voters in the first place. But I will tell you from my experience and looking at focus group work and seeing polling, and I, I don't, I think a struggle for Dan was to kind of decide up front what, you know, that was going to be about. And, and I don't know that my party did a good job nationally on that last November. I'll certainly be, if I'm asked to help think that through, I will. Sure. So it's the, you need to get to this point where the stance, at least from a party level, is is clearly defined. Right. And, you know, obviously not, maybe not so unambiguous, right? I think about Tim Michaels gave that quote. It was right. an exact mirror of my position. Then he right. tried to hedge on it as we got closer to election day. You think that defining yourself more clearly isn't necessary when it comes to abortion? Yeah. I don't, you know, I talked to a lot of folks who may not agree with us on the maybe on the life issue, but that's not their only issue, and that they have concerns about a couple of other issues as well. But I think the confusion about where we were at generally, I think the legislature have a lot of folks, me, Republicans, have a lot of folks that are kind of somewhere pretty close on the abortion issue, but either because of other things that's not been defined. So I'm going to encourage them to go through that process, and they should, and I say that as a pro-life person, uh, they should. But understand what the public's, not just what you think they're hearing, but what they are actually hearing. Sure. We'll round out this part of the conversation with this. Republicans are looking to energize Wisconsin voters. They want to take back the White House. They want to take Tammy Baldwin's U.S. Senate seat. I think they would love to get veto-proof majorities in both chambers of the legislature in, in 2024. They're so, so excited about it that the RNC is coming to Milwaukee next summer. What kind of opportunities does that create? for the state as we enter what is going to be just another chaotic cycle? I think for us, because it's obviously a close state, the convention placement was done to us in Nashville. And Ron Romney, Ronna McDaniel, our RNC chair, I think very much wanted it in Wisconsin. I don't know if she took a public position, but she certainly wanted it here in Wisconsin. So we're super excited. I mean, it's going to bring 50,000 Republicans to Milwaukee and whatever, 10 or 12,000 media representatives. And so we're super excited about it. It's a project, no doubt, but we're super excited about it. I've offered to personally pay for the plane flight to AOC to come so we can contrast (laughs) with her because that's where their party has gone now. So I think it's an opportunity to contrast. 
it's an opportunity, frankly, to highlight Milwaukee and Wisconsin. I mean, I do radio in Milwaukee sometimes. And in fact, even with the Democrats four years ago, when they made their decision, I was on radio. I was filling in for Mark Belling that day. I was on the radio. I said, people, we should be excited about this. Number one, it's good for the state. And I'd say that still, had they come. Maybe the biggest supporter of the RNC coming to Milwaukee is the Democratic mayor of Milwaukee, Cavalier Johnson. He should be, and, and he's been great in terms of helping us. They've been super, and I'm going to be appointed pretty soon to the Committee on Arrangements for the Republican National Committee. And I'm just, I think it's good. I've had an office on and off in Milwaukee for 25 years, and I think it's so good for Milwaukee and southeast Wisconsin. It's number one. That's the number one thing for me. But number two, with respect to the RNC allows us to contrast against them, show a lot of our successes. And frankly, by that time, this liberal state Supreme Court may have spent a fair bit of time rolling back some of the conservative reforms uh, that we've had in this state, everything from school choice to Act 10 or whatever. And uh, I would be just fine to talk about that. What this state will look like under Democrat governance versus what it looks like when we're running it. I'm happy to talk about that. I'm talking with Republican Party of Wisconsin Chair Brian Schimming. More to come. Wedge Issues is sponsored by Leopold's Books Bar Cafe, Madison's bookstore for night owls, serving craft cocktails, locally roasted coffee, and desserts every day from morning till midnight. More information at leopoldsmadison.com. Are you ready for the lightning round? Sure. We'll kick off with the classic Wedge Issues question. What is your favorite Wisconsin beer? Well, I like, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I like Spotted Cow. So I actually represented the craft brewers. Yeah, great, it's a wonderful association because a lot of them are, you know, they're smaller. You know, they're 10, 15, 18, you know, same guy brewing a beer shovel on the sidewalk, you know, and it's pretty cool group. So I'd say Spotted Cow, but I've, I've always liked Amber's, Wisconsin Air, and things like that. I've known a lot of people in the business. And we used to have our meetings every other month or so at a different brewery around the state, talking about a good gig. <laughs> so I've tried a lot. I don't drink a lot, but I've, I've and certainly like Spotted Cow. So. You are not the first person to say Spotted Cow, and you will definitely not be the I last. Bet, I bet not the last, yeah. What is your favorite knickknack or family heirloom or tchotchke that you owned? Oh, boy. Uh, old family Bible, probably. My parents, my dad was from Windsor, north of town here. My mom was from Ridgeway, town in Iowa County. But I, I don't have a lot of relatives. We aren't a big family, let's put it that way. So got an old family Bible. That means a lot to me. Uh, I don't know about Chotsky or anything uh, like that. I'm going to find it, though, because my mother's an assisted living now. She's got Alzheimer's. And so when we moved her out of her apartment, kind of on, you know, it kind of all happened in a relatively short amount of time. I went through and saw more family stuff that went into boxes in my storage unit right now, which is size of this office, not wall to wall to the ceiling, like literally. So I'm going to have quite a list of family trash keys and things that I may have to that I'll be looking at soon. You're spending a lot of time on the road right now. Yeah. What song or artist are you listening to to pass the time? Uh, well, the thing is of being on the road, I like listening to local radio, actually. I mean, I'm kind of a 70s traditional rock, you know, but I'm on the road a lot. And so I'll be in, you know, depending on where you are in the state, because you have different formats all over the place. And I do some radio here in, in Milwaukee. So, you know, I was everything from Bruce Springsteen to the Who to, you know, to everything. I wouldn't say I've gotten conversant, but let me just say I've heard every type of music that there is. 
because I'll be listening, you know, one minute I'll be listening to, you know, IBA-FM in Madison, the next I'll be listening to WCOW in Sparta. And I like to do that, actually, because I like to hear, I, I buy local newspapers. When I go into a town to speak or I'm staying overnight, I'll buy the local newspaper. I do it all the time. I've read the Capital Times. I've met Miles McMillan when I was a little guy, and uh, I've spent a lot of time coming out to this building. And the reason for that, in addition to knowing reporters over the years, I grew up working at the old Amato's Holiday House on Park Street, which was a fish fry place for 45 years. At the end of the night, when we closed at like 2 in the morning and cleaned up at about 2.30, we'd be out at the loading dock because Sam Amato, we'd have a couple of Huber Law folks that would be downtown on the old city, county, whatever. And we'd, we'd come here to buy newspapers, first edition newspapers. Yeah. And so we'd literally pull up the loading dock at 2.30 or 3 in the morning, buy newspapers off the loading dock for the guys to take back to the jail. <laughs> So I've spent a lot of time in this builder at the building. But I listen to a fair bit, actually, because of my, I'm 62, so that gives you a reference on my music. If you've had a long day at work, what comfort food do you crave? I like a lot of traditional Wisconsin foods, which is why I look like this, by the way. I'll go to neighborhood bars. I grew up, I had my first beer at the Old Rustic Tavern on uh, Park Street. Okay, which yeah. is now I went by, uh, it's across from La Hacienda, which was Amato's. La Hacienda was Amato's. So I've been, I kind of grew up in that neighborhood because of where I, you know, up by the stadium. So unfortunately, it's a lot of cheeseburgers and fried food. But I, I love pasta because I grew up at the restaurant. I literally was working there from 13 or 14 on. So I love pasta, you know, so there's nothing extraordinary that way. It's just, but I have to have less of it. Comfort food is great. I need to be a little less comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stay in the food category. What is your favorite sandwich? Probably a BLT. Okay. Classic. Probably a BLT. Yeah. Classic. Are you reading anything not work-related right now? I haven't been the last couple of months. Actually, this came up the other day. I was talking to my sister about this. Not a lot, but there's a group of us who will exchange ideas on things to read. But I've been so completely, because of this, you know, we went through the regular cycle and everything else. So I'm not reading anything real dramatic right now, no. Sure. All right, and we'll get you out of here on this. What is your favorite Wisconsin cheese? For me, because this is a boring answer, but really aged cheddar to the point where you can chip it off. Uh, it's old. That sounds really boring, but I do like different cheeses. I like Munster. I like the best thing when my dad, my dad died of cancer in his last couple of months. We were like figuring all sorts of things to like do to keep him comfortable or whatever. And I went out to what you call it off uh, the highway going out to Verona where they have all those different cheeses and meats and things like that. And got this massive cheese box for everything my dad shouldn't be eating <laughs> in his final weeks. And he thought he'd, he thought he died and gone to heaven already. So that exposed me to a bunch of, but, but because I travel the state, I'll buy different cheeses around that. But I love aged cheeses. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff out there that's not that great. <laughs> and so it's frustrating. <laughs> Brian Schimming, chair of the Wisconsin Republican Party. Thank you so much for joining Wedge Issues. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our show is sponsored by Leopold's Book Bars Cafe and edited by Haley Bowers. Our intro music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll have new episodes every other week. If you like what you heard, hit subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend. And if you haven't already, sign up for Wedge Issues, the newsletter at captimes.com forward slash newsletters. I'm Jack Kelly. Thanks for listening. <laughs>